Amen. Amen. There I am. That's better. I needed one of these at home all week. Apologies for the voice, half a voice. My Jenny's had a wonderful week. She's been having a lovely time not being able to hear me chitter chatter. Um, these four Sundays in December, we're going through a bit of an Advent series. Um, we're journeying through the bigger Christmas story, not just the birth of Christ, but the events leading up to it, as well as we get to experience now the events beyond it as well, of course. Um, the, the word Advent simply means arrival. Just, the word Advent simply means the arrival of a significant event or a significant person. You're waiting to, for royalty to turn up to your house. That's an Advent. This is the waiting, the great royal Messiah, isn't it? There's Advent. It's about anticipation. And so traditionally, the church throughout history has followed it through kind of four segments, if you like, through um, leading up to what we celebrate at the end of December, celebrating the birth of Christ. So four segments about expectation, um, about annunciation, as in announcing, and then proclamation, and then the fulfillment as well. And that's what Advent tends to look like traditionally throughout church history. And we're doing the same over these four Sundays leading up to and including Christmas Eve. We're looking at these four, expectation, annunciation, proclamation, and fulfillment. We're looking at that on each of these Sundays. So last week, David shared about the expected promise. So he was looking back hundreds and thousands of years before, where we looked at the prophecies, notably from Isaiah, that God's saying, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's not yet, but I'm letting you know now, it's going to happen. It's expected. And today, in a minute, we're going to be looking at the announced promise, which then about whether it's 4 BC or 0 AD, somewhere around then, there's an announced promise. It was going to happen, now it's about to happen. Get ready. This is where we're going to see the story. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 1 while I'm chatting, there's, um, there's a moment we're going to look at where the angel Gabriel announces the promise to Mary. This is about to happen now. And then, obviously, nine months later, we have the proclaimed promise. It has happened. Amen. Jesus has arrived, the Saviour is here, and the shepherds and so on go, go to find him. And Derek will be helping us out with that at our all Age carols next Sunday. Um, There'll be the proclaimed promise, the expected promise, the announced promise, the, the proclaimed promise. And then in two weeks' time, Bob, on our, at our traditional carols on Christmas Eve, will be talking about the fulfilled promise. That it hasn't, wasn't just going to happen and it's about to happen and has happened. It is still happening for us. We get to live in the light of the fulfilled promise, even today and beyond. So today, week number two, we're looking at the announced promise. Let's just read uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and we'll read up to about 30, 38. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Amen. 
And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So, this passage we've got here, it's quite a familiar one for many or if not all of us, isn't it? Um, but it exists within a very much wider story that spans thousands of years, ultimately. But this, um, this particular segment in this story, it's a huge, great meta-story, if you like it. This particular passage helps us recognise that, for us particularly, when things seem to go awry, we actually realise that actually God, is in his goodness, he makes plans. When things look like they're going awry, they're not. God makes plans... And he does them for our good and for his glory. And he sticks to those plans. We can trust this. Because humanity, right back at the very beginning, if you like, uh, we can see it right at the beginning in, in the book of Genesis. Humanity turned from our creator in a, well, it's a, it's a scandalous act of self-service, isn't it, really? Um, effectively taking the reins from God in our lives. And we, humanity, have continued doing that ever since, haven't we? And yet God is so good that he has proven to be unable to resist providing rescue from this mess that we've continued to get ourselves into. He can't resist it. He has to lean forward. Even when Adam and Eve, our first parents, when they started the rebellion, God already had a rescue plan in place. You can see it in Genesis chapter 3. And this has continued to unfold through Scripture. As you read through Scripture, you see it continues to unfold to reveal that Jesus is the expected promise, who here we see is announced. Here he comes. And then he's proclaimed. He's here. And we get to experience that full rescue and freedom in that promise that is fulfilled in Jesus. We are on the receiving end of that. And so, going from our First parents, through whom it all began, we now discover this young, soon-to-be parent, Mary, through whom a whole new beginning is about to appear. She will bear God himself as the very child of this promised rescue. And as we look deeper into this passage, we discover three wonderful truths about God and his purposes and his promises. Three things. In this passage about God that help us grasp the Christmas story, but also help us grasp how God operates in our everyday lives, in our everyday situations, all the stuff we're dealing with and wrestling with and so on, all those things that need his mercy and his justice and his grace. We see these three truths that help us, helped Mary then and help us today as well. Three things. Firstly, God chooses. God chooses. God is not slapdash in making his plans. God is careful and he is considered and he knows what he is doing. God chooses. Secondly, we're going to look at the fact that God provides. He doesn't leave us to operate in our own strength. I've chosen you. Right, off you go. He doesn't do that, does he? 
Not at all. He gives us what we need along the way. God chooses, God provides. And thirdly, God ensures. God is not unable to bring any of those plans to fruition. And what he says he will do, he will do. God is intentional, God is kind, and God is utterly reliable. And we're going to look at three, each of these three things from both kind of the, the macro, if you like, the gospel bigger picture. We're going to look at in this passage here where these things reside. But we're also going to look at, therefore, the micro, our everyday lives, where we can see that on display in our lives. Or if we haven't been seeing it, hopefully today we can realise it. Three things. He chooses, he provides, and he ensures. First of all, number one, God chooses. God is intentional. And God is not slapdash in making his plans. How can we know this? Well, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, God says to the prophet, famous verse, before, I, before I, formed, I formed you in the womb, before I did that, I knew you. That melts my brain. That makes my head hurt. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. See, God knows you better than yourself. Who thinks they know themselves quite well? Who thinks they're very self-aware? Yeah, all the Normans are quite self-aware. Well, God knows the Normans better than the Normans know themselves. That's a lot then, isn't it? God, know, God has known you longer than you've known yourself. And his word tells us that he chooses us for his purposes and he doesn't randomly do a pick and mix. Oh, that one will do. He doesn't operate like that. And it's simply out of his love for us. Let's have a look here in this passage. How is Mary described? Right at the very beginning, when Gabriel turns up, he says to her, verse 28, Greetings, O favoured one. That's what he calls her straight away. Greetings, Mary. He just randomly picked you out in a lottery ticket. Isn't that? Greetings, O favoured one. And then verse 30, he calls her again. He says, You have found favour with God. Now, she has many great characteristics to her. We, we see in verse 29 that she it says she discerns. She's a discerning person. She's only a young lass. She's already quite discerning. We see in verse 38, we'll look at later, she's obedient. We see in later verses and chapters that she's believing and she's worshipful, she's faithful, and so on. But none of these are qualifying factors. None of these are reasons God's going, who ticks all my boxes? He hasn't done that at all. God's choice of Mary to bear this child emanates purely from his grace, not for some inherent quality that she possesses and has therefore earned the position. The significant qualifying factor for her to be choose, chosen is that she is favoured. Beautiful. I mean, just look, look at where she's coming from. She's this teenage girl, unbecoming teenage girl in Nazareth. God has chosen this young lass from the rustic north of Jerusalem. Nazareth is a place that was not held in high esteem. You even see in John chapter 1, Nathaniel, what does he say? He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's what he asks. There's a reason for that. I was thinking of a British example, but I thought that would be on recording, and I'd have, I'd have denigrated some town in the black country or something. <laughs> so, no, don't go there, Steve. Um, but, no, I'm not doing that. I've been to a few places that I could add to the list, but I'm not going Jerusalem was about, it's about, as the crow flies, it's 60, uh, sorry, Nazareth is about 60 miles as the crow flies north of Jerusalem. But to walk it, for them at the time, walking between Nazareth and Jerusalem would be about 90 miles. Um, and it was derided 
in Jewish society is somewhere quite pitiful, held in low esteem. It's only tiny. It's only two to four hundred people is what it's approximated. And so in Israel, it's a place of low reputation. Outside of Israel, it wasn't even on the map, was it? It's of zero interest. So the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Actually, yes, it can. Yes, it absolutely can. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but his, his mother and his adoptive father Joseph, Joseph were from Nazareth, and Jesus grew up there from a few years old up to his, when he was 13, started his ministry. He, he lived there. He was, he was one of the Nazareth clan. And so Mary, she's, she's from this town that is sneered at, and she herself, she's not rich, she's not famous, she's not qualified, she's not skilled or charismatic in any way like that. She's not special and humanized in any way, really. Her qualities, while commendable, they didn't qualify her for the job. Other than the fact that God chose her and calls her his favored one. God chose Mary. His reasoning isn't given, it doesn't need to be. Just simply lifted her out from the crowd, not to give her glory, but to give him glory. Now, I know some segments of global Christianity, unnamed, have elevated Mary to a position that is not appropriate, right? She is not someone to pray to. She is not someone to worship. She deserves our respect and our admiration, absolutely. But nothing more than that. She's simply another opportunity, really, to see God's grace. The word grace simply means undeserved favor. That's what the word grace means. And she has an opportunity to see that on full display. She hasn't earned her, his, her place in history by building up credits or getting a certain ranking. She's not done that at all. God simply chose her, this young girl, with nothing other than a humble self to offer. And God chose her out of his love and his grace to show how immense his generous heart is to us who are also, the rest of us, we're actually nothing to write home about, are we? And so if maybe if I think, I don't know if anyone's thought of this, well, bully for her. She's the one who did get chosen for this. I'd love to have my name in lights in the history books. Well, if that's you, that's probably a good reason why God hasn't chosen you for something like this. Just saying. God simply saw that Mary's heart was humble. And he knew she was nothing fancy or deserving, and yet he loved her, and he chose her from outside of time to carry his son. He had a plan in place, and he wanted her for it. It's as simple as that. It's just grace and beauty on display. There's a brilliant verse in Isaiah 42, verse 14. I love this. God says, For a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. He's God. God restraining himself. It's just like he's so eager. It's on the tip of his tongue. He carries on. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. See, for a long time I've held my peace. I've been wanting to tell you about this. And he goes, now I'm going to cry out like a woman in labor. I'm going to tell you about my expected promise. And that for a long time, literally in the Hebrew, it's from eternity. From eternity, God has been wanting to reveal his Messiah. He's been desperately leaning. It's on the tip of his tongue. Can I just blurt it out? I want to tell you about my son. And he's been wanting to do that from before time began. He's so excited to do this. So Jesus himself, the Son of God, has not just been eternally existing. He's been eternally waiting in the wings. The whole Trinity are just like, is it time yet? 
is it time yet? Is it, you know, kids, in the, kids in the car, are we there yet? It's like we literally just turned the first corner. <laughs> but God and the Son and the Holy Spirit are just like, can we? No, not yet. Can, can we? Can we? Yeah, but it's going to be brilliant. Can we? There's an excitement here in the Trinity. I love it. And this is something we now get to enjoy by being on the receiving end of this fulfilled, now fulfilled promise. It's beautiful. And so for us, because of this very event, because of what it leads to, just know that regardless of your upbringing, your background, your experiences, the choices you've made, your status in society, regardless of any of that, in Christ, we now are all God's favoured ones. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us we are chosen. Just like Mary, you and I, in Christ, are chosen. He wanted you, and he still wants you. Chosen. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us he chose us before time. There it is again. I can't get my head around it, but it's brilliant. Deuteronomy 32 and Zechariah chapter 2 both describe us, his people, his church, as the apple of his eye. And then, of course, in the Isaiah and the Gospels and Revelation and elsewhere, the church, his people, are described as his bride. Jesus thinks we're beautiful and we're brilliant. For all our faults, he thinks the world of us. He adores his church. We are chosen and we are cherished beyond our wildest dreams. You need to know this. You may not feel like it, but it's the truth. Your feelings don't change truth. We are chosen and cherished beyond our wildest dreams. And you and I, we haven't earned one iota of that. It's still true. And so just that truth alone, let alone all the other wonderful riches that we have in him, just that alone should be enough to awaken in us utter peace and joy and security and confidence. Whenever you're thinking that God's got the wrong person, it's similar to what we were hearing earlier during worship, isn't it? Whenever you think God's got the wrong person, or whenever you think you don't deserve his favour, well, that bit, you know, none of us do, you're right. Whenever you're, you're lacking peace, you're lacking joy, you're lacking security and so on, get this truth in your bones. Let this just seep deep into your marrow. He chooses us because he chooses us because he loves us. Utter, utter truth. Know it. Let it get deep in your marrow. So God chooses, but God also provides. He's kind. He doesn't leave us to operate in our own strength. He gives us what we need along the way for whatever he's called us to. If you look back in the book of Exodus, you see where God asked the people to build him a tabernacle where God and man can meet together. He builds his tabernacle, this mobile temple. That's what he does, doesn't he? What does he do in that story in Exodus? He ordains this incredible meeting place between God and man by giving them detailed instruction doesn't go, just go and build me a nice tent, make it pretty. doesn't do that. He gives them very detailed instruction, isn't it? It's really the detail and the measurements and the materials to be used and all that. He gives them detailed instructions, better than Ikea ones. But then he also provides named, skilled craftsmen. Again, he's cho chosen people to help with the job. It's like, I'm setting them apart for this and I'm setting them apart for that and get them together, other skilled craftsmen. And then it turns out he's already providing all the ingredients that are needed to do it. They're in the middle of the desert. I was popped down B&Q. Don't do they? They've got everything they needed because he's helped them plunder the wealth of the Egyptians as they escaped slavery. They've got so much amongst them. 
so God, I ask them to like bring just generous offerings from what you've already acquired from Egypt. Use it to build a tabernacle. And it turns out they've got everything they need for all these detailed instructions he's already given. God gave spoken provision, detailed instructions. God gave relational provision, the right people for the right, in the right place for the right thing. And he gave material provision as well. He didn't go, fill me a nice tent, off you go, and watch them scurry around and make a rubbish go of it. He gives them everything they need to do what he's asked, them, asked of them. So when we look at here, here at this moment with Mary, we see God gave, but through Gabriel, spoken provision. This is going to happen. This is what I'm asking of you, doesn't he? And so when he does, in verse 34, naturally, Mary goes, but how should this be? She goes, like, I'm, a, I'm a virgin. What's, what, what are you talking about? And so verse 35, Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. God will provide supernatural means. He says, you're a virgin, yeah, but the Holy Spirit will conceive a child in you. Now, I can imagine her little brain at the time. Hang on, the Holy Spirit's going to do what? <laughs> Excuse I? But to help her, he then describes what's already happening with her cousin. Mary's cousin Elizabeth, he says, your cousin Elizabeth, who, who you know has walked through constant infertility, and she's elderly, She's already pregnant with her own child. See, God gives Mary theological truth. Here is what's going to happen, and it will blow your mind. But then he also gives her kind of backup evidence, if you like, to convince her. But it's like I'm doing a miracle in your cousin. Go and find her. I can do that. I can do this, remember? He helps her along the way as well. He's given a spoken provision, but he's also given a relational provision as well. Through Elizabeth. But then also through... Joseph as well. We've got to remember Joseph's in the picture here. He's already in the mix. Mary is already betrothed to be married. So she's not going to be a single mum who's then going to struggle to get married and have provision in the future. She's already got that in place, hasn't she? God's already started doing the work. So she, she's not going to become an outcast in that particular society. There's already relational, and that which brings therefore material provision, already in place for her to raise her son. And so... God's like, like with the tabernacle, that place where God and man meet. There he gave, like I say, spoken provision, relational provision and material provision. He's done the same here. Make concern that the arrival of his son, his ultimate meeting place between God and man. Again, he's giving everything that's needed for it to happen. Spoken provision, revelation, an angel turning up, actual details of what's going to happen and encouragement to help her get it. And then relational provision. She's got the right people around her. She's got, the, she's got a support network already. And then material provision as well for the future and for Jesus' upbringing. God's got everything in place that she needs. She doesn't have to muster anything up at all. He's just asking her to be obedient. See, God never leaves us in the lurch, does he? And so whatever God is calling you to, whether it's a big thing, whether it's a small thing, whether it's major changes in your life, maybe it's just everyday faithfulness. That can be enough sometimes, can't it? Just know that Philippians 4.19, as it says there, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And his riches can never run out and he'll provide what you need. So in the same way that different types of provisions, spoken material, uh, spoken relational and material. God speaks to us. 
maybe through big prophetic words, sometimes but some of us have been on the receiving end of that, primarily and always, for all of us, through his word anyway. There's plenty of promises here for you today, right now. Hundreds and thousands of them in here. He speaks to us, provides for us through that. But he also gives us relational provision. He gives us community to work together, the church. We're not called to do it alone, are we? To support one another, to complement our gifts and our strengths together. We're not meant to journey alone, so let's continue to do so. And that's not just who you're on the receiving end of being supported by, but maybe who could you be supporting? He's provided us for each other, hasn't he? But he also provides material needs too when it comes to finance and jobs and food in our bellies and a roof over our head and so on. All that he asks is that we are faithful, that we follow him and we trust him. That's all he asks. And he will give us what we need at just the right time along the way. God chooses and God provides. And then lastly, God ensures. God is reliable. What he says he will do, he will do. King David in Psalm 57 says, I'll cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He fulfills it. And then David's son Solomon says in Proverbs 19, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. He'll never fail. God never speaks flippantly. And God never flip-flops on his plans. If you want to know what it means to rest in a sure and certain hope, you'll find it in him and him only. And so again, here in this passage, we see where God has made this plan to rescue humanity and he's chosen how it will pan out and he's provided what is required for it to happen. We today can now look back through history and we can see that he has painstakingly made certain that it did happen and is continue, continuing to happen for us today. We can see he's ensured it, can't we? The angel says in verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. So if God says it's a done deal, it's a done deal, isn't it? And so as we get to see in later chapters, you know, Mary, she really does conceive and she really does give birth to a Messiah who really does live a perfect life, who really does die in our place and really does rise again that we might have eternal life in him. And we get to see that in itself proving to be a one-off, never needing to be repeated event. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, he did this once for all. It's all that's needed. And so not only is God's plan perfect and sufficient, and he made sure it happened, no one can undo it either. God's offer of salvation has been perfectly placed on the table for you to step into right now. And when you're his, nothing can snatch you from his hands. Know that. Which then again brings us to the impact of this nativity story, if you like, um, in our everyday lives. Just hear this out. As well as providing for what we need in any given moment, whatever path God is maybe calling you to right now or for the future, just know that God's provision will never dry up. God's, got, God, excuse me, God's like, he's not saying, it's okay, I gave you a head start. I gave you a leg up, off you go. It's up to you now. Not at all. Not in the slightest. 
Famous verse, we all love it, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Yeah? That's the bit we tend to remember. There's the rest of that sentence. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. There it is. We're called according to his purpose. And he doesn't do those kind of things willy-nilly. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he's going to stick to his word. So Philippians 1.6, I'm throwing lots of scripture at you today, I just want you to see it. this scripture is drenched in this. Philippians 1 verse 6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. His work in us is being perfected and one day it will be perfected. And so, similar to what I said earlier, when things don't seem to go according to plan, it's never because God has lost control. It's not because he's weak or unable to. It's not because he's disinterested, he's got bored, he's got distracted. None of that. He will never let us down. What he says he will do, he will do. So just as I close, let's just look at Mary's beautiful reaction. In verse 38, um, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She sees that he's chosen her. She sees that he's already provided. He's providing, but he's already provided as well. And she trusts, therefore, that he's able to ensure its guarantee. She doesn't see everything, but she sees enough. She sees in part, yeah? But therefore, she is certain of what she doesn't see in full. And so what what does she do with this mix of convincing evidence and the stuff she simply needs to trust. Well, she doesn't tell God she'll trust him when he's shown her, shown her more of his working out. <laughs> Can I see the back of your book first? I want to see your scribbles. I'm not sure. No. Instead, she simply says, I am your servant. Your will be done. And so you yourself, I don't know, you might, maybe you're seeking answers for something before you step forward in obedience. You sense God's calling you to do something and I understand it. Sometimes it's scary. Just what is God asking of you? It may, may not be anything major. It may be specific direction. It may be just be challenges to your lifestyle, uh, to some of the choices you make, maybe. It could be anything. But are you holding back because you're uncertain of what he's said? That's sometimes that's one thing to work out, isn't it? Or are you holding back because you're deciding how much more convincing God needs to be in order for you to trust him? It's a fair question to ask sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes we just need to be sure that any expectations or conditions regarding our obedience aren't just us deciding where those goalposts need to be. We just need to remember Jesus, the great promise. We need to remember who he is, what he's done, and what he's doing, and then maybe ask yourself those questions again. So this Christmas... May we be a people who see and hear what God is asking of us in his choosing and his providing. And may we step forward in faith knowing that he is also ensuring that his promises will never leave us adrift or alone. But may we be in the, therefore, doing that will be in the safest place to be, which is within his eternal better purposes, simply because of Jesus, the eternal promise come true. 
Can we pray for us? Lord, you are so good. Lord, you are so kind. Lord, you're a balm to the soul, and not just because of stroking our shoulder there, there, but you're, you're just so trustworthy. Our hearts can settle, whatever it is you're calling us to, Lord. Things can be scary sometimes. We have our creature comforts, and we have our definitions of what makes us feel secure. But Lord, ultimately, may we find our complete security in you, and may we know the safest place to be is going where you're going, and simply doing what you ask. Because you'll never abandon us, never leave us adrift, and never leave us in the lurch. What you say you will do, you will do. Help us, even from today forwards. May we step into that in a whole new way, with a whole new confidence. Know your great God, who has got us, who will always catch us, and who will never lose us. Help us to trust you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.